We are in the middle of a series, or at least uh, kicked off a series last week, this is the middle week, um, called Simple by Design. And the reason we called it that and wanted to do it at the beginning of the year is because we know, especially in this Western modern world, like, um, and, and depending on how old you are and how you were raised, like church, just the idea of church, uh, church can be sometimes a little complicated or at least complex. You know, it's one of the reasons there's so many different kinds of churches and so many different styles of churches and there's so many different denominations, right? And doctrines, there's so many different spiritual practices, there's different uh, religious ideas, there's different um, uh, liturgies and things that people practice, there's different expressions themselves of worship and of, 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 of those things. So we understand that it can sometimes, but we want you to know, all of that complexity comes from us, and I'm pointing at me, but I mean like comes from mankind, right? Like it, it comes from our version of trying to figure this out and trying to put God in a box and trying to do what we can do. Uh, that's where it comes from. Uh, but it's not necessarily coming from God. Really, when it comes to the church, and especially what Jesus commanded, it's quite simple, actually. It's quite simple, and again, simple by design, because it was never meant to be for the religious elite. It was never meant to be uh, for the educated. It was never meant to, it was it was meant to be carried on the backs of the least of these to the ends of the earth. That's what it was for. And so we just want to talk. We spent last week just kind of starting this off, and I'm going to do a quick recap um, about how Journey. This is the question we were answering. How does Journey Church try to keep it simple? Okay, we do our very best, and I'm not saying we succeed every time, but we we do our best. Okay, this is our mission and vision. The mission is why we exist as a church, is to humbly point everyone to absolute hope. You see that when you walk through the doors, hopefully, uh, in our church, and you, you read that and see that there are some key words there. Um, part of that is just in the attitude by which we think we stand. We don't do this to combat or to debate. We do it in a humble way. Um, and we want to point everyone, meaning we do not want to pre-qualify people for whether they can hear about Jesus or not. Okay, So that's, that's part of the everyone there. But the absolute hope is Jesus himself. Like we, we want people to know there's, there's a lot of things we might hope in in this world, but Jesus is the only absolute hope that we can have. Now, our vision is kind of like our discipleship statement, okay? And, and here's how the, our vision works. It, it talks about us, again, as the transformed people, the church, the transformed and transforming people of God, seeing our friends and changing our friends' lives by absolute hope. Because we can say everyone, but you don't know everyone, but you do know the people in your circle. You do know the people in your life, people that God has placed you uh, in the midst of. And so we want to see you, the, us, the church, the transformed people, begin to be a part of what God's called us to in seeing our lives, our friends' lives changed by Jesus. And so here's the verse that I gave you last week that talks about our vision. It says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, right? That's that transforming thing. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Jesus Christ. So that's the absolute hope we're talking about, this gift that's been given uh, to us. And God has now given us the task of reconciling people to him. So it goes on to talk, talk about what we said last week. We are ambassadors. It's not about trying to get people to come in and hear the message. We are ambassadors. We take Jesus wherever we live, work, learn, work, and play. Like we, we take the gospel. We take Christ into every domain in our lives. And we talked a little bit about the characteristics of a disciple. Won't go too deep, but here's the four words we always want people to kind of remember. Partnering, growing, serving, leading. 
This is just a part of how we try to get make it simple for our church. And those are the four kind of legs on a uh, stool or four wheels on a car that um, kind of define who we are as followers of Christ. And then we just said as a, as a strategy that comes from the last two, our strategy, the, sort of the, the huddle and, 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 and play we're going to make every single time is to share and serve. Right? Why? Because there's, nothing, there's no simpler way to define the Great Commission or the Great Commandment, which is to share the hope of Christ with others and to serve others in love. That's it. So it doesn't matter what we do or don't do as a church, what opportunities come, what classes are, are here, what programs are here, what small groups you're in, what team you serve on. It doesn't make any difference. If we have another COVID, if we have another you know, a worldwide disrupting event, and we can't necessarily gather as an organization, it does not change what the strategy is of our church. It's that individually and collectively, we are called to share our faith and to serve others. That's it. Again, trying to, trying to fight to keep it simple. Here's, uh, we're going to talk about both these in the next two weeks, but today we're going to focus really on the verse I shared last week about how do we share what Jesus has done for us. So, Peter, when he writes the church, is always kind of comparing how things used to be versus how things are now. We used to look at Christ this way, and now we see Christ very differently. And he, he's giving them kind of this, you used to live like this, but now, instead, this is where we pick up, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. Right? He's the Lord, he's the King, he's the ruler of your life. And if someone asks you for your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. So other versions say, be prepared to give an answer, to give a, a reason. Do this, but do this in a gentle and respectful way, right? Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they'll be ashamed when they see the good life you live, your testimony, your witness, because you belong to Christ, right? Because you belong to Jesus. And so this is, you know, uh, hopefully you've heard me talk about this before, but today I want to talk about uh, this idea that, you know, when, when people do the church uh, research and they do kind of the statistic gathering of the church and the kind of the Western world, um, one of the things we see, and, and th these are the statistics from like Pew Research and stuff, and it says like, well, 85% of most Christians, so you would say the majority, right, 85% of Christians believe that it's their responsibility to tell others about Jesus. So they believe that that's that's something we're called to do. It's a, it's a responsibility. And yet, when you start going through the, the research, you start going through the statistics, it's an inverse uh, number that only 15% of those 85 are actually doing it. Does that make sense? It's kind of a weird thing to look at. Like 85% feel like, I don't know why it's not 100, but anyway, 85 believe it's an actually their responsibility. But only 15% actually, and we've done our own surveys at Journey, and they fall right in line with those numbers, that 15, only 15% 15 have ever even once shared their faith with someone else. Only once. So what is that? Why is that? Like why, why if it's something we, the majority of us believe we're called to do, why do so many seem to actually ever sort of share about Jesus with somebody in their life? Well, I, I don't know the answer for you. I'm going to go ahead and share one of the reasons that I think, this is a question that came up last week, but one of the reasons I think is we confuse uh, simple with easy, right? We confuse simple with easy, and we can't do that, especially when it comes to the, the Christian life. 
Do not confuse simple with easy. Simple is just clear, right? Simple is sort of always unchanging, right? Simple is sort of like the directive. It's, it's as clear as you can get. Parents get this, okay? Parents understand. You tell your kid, I want you to go upstairs and brush your teeth, right? It's, it's a directive, it's simple. There's only one instruction in that. Go upstairs and brush your teeth, right? It's always, it's unchanging. What do we do every night before we go to bed? It's not a shock to anyone. We brush our teeth and we say it and it's simple. And then the child goes and does anything and everything except brush their teeth, right? So again, simple, not easy, Right? Simple is just the fact, again, it's clear. Think about the Christian life. Think about what we're called to as believers. All right, just a few examples. Right? Well, I mean, I've had people say, well, I don't know about following Jesus. I, you know, I'm worried about what it's going to cost me. I understand that. It's going to cost you everything. Because part of the life of a Christian is we surrender everything to God. That's what we do. We don't just surrender eternity to God. We surrender our lives to God. He's our Lord and Savior. We surrender everything. Well, I'm a little bit worried it's going to inflict on my life. You know, it's going to change things. It is going to change things, right? Because it's everything. You have to surrender everything, which again is simple because that's always the answer, but not easy, right? Love everybody. Wait, you mean him? I have to love, God, are you sure about that? Like, are you, I got to love them? I got to love her? And, and the answer is always yes. Always. There's, I've looked in the scripture. I've studied it. There is no scripture that gives me the right to not love someone at all. Nothing. So here we are. You got to love everybody always. Well, okay, it's simple, but it's not easy. It tells us time and time in Scripture again to forgive others so we can be free. Wait, okay, no, 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 no. Because if I forgive them, God, I don't know if you know. Uh, hold on, I don't know if you know what they did to me. If I forgive them, they're the ones who are going to be free. I, I release that debt. Like, and, and it's like, no, no, no. In Scripture, we are told time and time again, like, it never changes. It's as clear as it can be. It's as simple and unchanging and always as ever. We forgive in order to, for us to be free. Simple? Yes. Easy, no. So I want us to acknowledge that it's okay to acknowledge that sharing our faith is what we are called to do, commanded to do doesn't necessarily mean that it's easy for you. doesn't mean it's easy. It's simple because it's always the answer. If you think about the things that we share, you know, the restaurant we went to or the movie we saw or the great thing we just binged. I watched 18 episodes in, you know, a day and a half, you know, and I did this and it was just so good. I couldn't put this book down. You know, I, you think about the stuff that we already share. We share, you know, things online. We share our opinions about politics and life and people's families. And we share advice, whether people ask us for the advice or not, we share all of these things. Why? Because those are easy to share, but they are truly meaningless at the end of the day. Again, we have only one command, red letter command, share, to share. Share your faith and the hope you have 
in Jesus Christ. Be prepared to share. I want to look at the uh, uh, part of the, the journal that Luke gives us of the early church. Um, you know, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Uh, Luke is one of the Gospels, and Luke tells us at the beginning of Luke that he, uh, when he was a doctor, um, he was kind of charged with pulling eyewitnesses together and so forth and so on to tell us and to record about the life of Jesus. That's the Gospel of Luke. But then Luke also kind of, and it's the best way to see it, he writes a journal and it's called the Acts of the Apostles. So it's where we get the book of Acts from. It is the journal that Luke gives us of the things he was able to journal about the early church and those people and their experiences of the apostles. So we're going to dive into the very beginning, uh, very close to the beginning of his journal about the early church um, to kind of give us some guidelines. How can, how, can, how can we get some help in this thing that's simple, but not necessarily easy for us to do as we're called to share our faith with others? Here's, here's how we start. This is Acts 3. We're going to look at Acts 3, 4, and 5 today. I'm not reading everything, I promise you, but I want to walk you through the narrative, if you will, of this portion of the journal that Luke gives us. Peter and John, disciples, went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock uh, prayer service, all right? Uh, they approached the temple, and a man lame from birth was being carried in. Now, there's a few characters in here. We know Peter and John were disciples. Uh, the man lame from birth, we don't know his name. Uh, there's, they're going to the three o'clock worship service. So they had service all day long, multiple services. People kind of came and went depending on their work, depending on when it was available to them. Well, kind of like the nine and 11 o'clock service. They'd be like, you came to the 11 o'clock. You know, they were going to the three o'clock, which no one would come to. They were going to the three o'clock service, right? In the temple. So it goes on to say, each day, this man was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate. So he could beg for the people or from the people that were going into the temple. So someone was caring for this man. He'd been lame since birth, but they were bringing him to, to beg and to try to sustain his life. Um, it says, when, they, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. Look at us. And I think Peter's re reason for that is the fact that you know, they were fishermen, you know, like hanging out with Jesus for three and a half years didn't really change their style very much. Like they might've looked worse, right? Like, like, they're just like, look at us. Like we don't, what makes you think we have money? But the layman looked at them eagerly expecting some money. And Peter said, well, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. He said, I'll give you what I have, Jesus. And so Peter took the layman by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. Now, I want you to understand, Luke does not put anything in his journal. He's very particular that he doesn't want you to know. Okay? There's a reason that he would say this as a doctor. The guy's been lame from birth, right? He doesn't have any muscle mass or, or anything about his body that would just be like he was faking it. He's like, he's been lame from birth. People knew it. He says his feet, his ankles were strengthened. They were healed and strengthened immediately. He says he jumped up, stood up on his feet and began to walk. Then walking and leaping and praising God went into the temple with them. I don't, I'm, listen, I'm 48 years old. I don't jump up anymore. 
okay? I got plenty of muscle mass, right? Leaping is already a hard challenge for me. But here's this guy, and this is why Luke is writing it. He's like, there was an immediate, incredible, miraculous thing that happens for this man. And he follows Peter and John in. All the people saw him walking and heard him praying God. Now just remember those two words. They saw him and they heard him. And when they realized this was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. Now, every time I read this, you've probably heard me say this before, I like to give him a name because he doesn't have a name and I think he needs a name. So I give him the name Bob, okay? Bob. It's a good name. My dad's name is Bob. It's a strong name, right? It's Bob. So Bob just goes on. Everybody now sees Bob, okay? And, and, and understand that, that, that very similar to this, right? Like, like they were, everybody there was expecting a three o'clock worship service, sort of normal. I got there, I got my coffee, I checked my kid in late, I showed, you know, I walked through the back of the door, might have missed the first song. Like everybody sort of is expecting their normal routine of worship. And there's a frenzy going on. There's a buzz. Why? Bob. Right? Bob. They all knew Bob. Bob was at the gate. That's where you went in. That's the beautiful gate where people went in. And they saw Bob for years. And so when they recognize Bob's in the corner doing jumping jacks and parkour and everything. And, he's, and they're just like, is that Bob? That's Bob. They're astounded, which is the best way to say that. Now, watch this. Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd, right? Peter sees this as an opportunity and addressed the crowd. And I actually think this is one of the first things most of us kind of struggle to do, is to recognize God-given opportunities, right? To share our faith. There are some opportunities. Now, listen, I'm not saying that you don't have to, you know, work for these things. I'm not saying that, um, that God does it all for you. But listen, there are times that God just, just kicks the front door open and creates an opportunity for us. You know, somebody at work says, man, I'm struggling. Is there any hope at all? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, there it is. Well, let me tell you about the absolute hope of Jesus, you know. I don't know how you start that conversation, but you, there's an open opportunity, right? Like, this is, what, this is what God does. And so I'm not saying it happens all the time, but I'm just telling you, we have to start recognizing as we live our lives, as we live out this God-given purpose to share and to serve, God's going to create opportunities, God-given opportunities, and it's up to us to recognize them so that we can share what we have, the hope that we have. And so Peter sees this. And listen, Peter's message is the same, okay? It's always the same. Peter, like if you read and go through it, Peter at Pentecost, Peter here, Peter later, Peter going on. I don't know if he just, again, he was a fisherman. He was a very simple guy, but his message was always the same. Hey, you guys remember Jesus? Yep, we remember Jesus. Cool. You killed him, right? Especially if the Pharisees were there, but he liked to point the finger. You killed him. God raised him. From the dead. And we saw him. I saw him. John saw him. Mark, you saw him. Didn't you see him? Little Jimmy, you saw him over there. Like 500 people saw Jesus. So there was always somebody in the crowd. He's like, you remember? You saw him? Guys on the road to Emmaus? Oh, you saw him. You remember? 
So he's like, that was always his message. You need to repent and come back to God because it was in Jesus Christ that he did everything he needed to do. You killed him. God raised him. We saw him. And now we're here to tell you about this hope. Now, here's what he says specifically because Peter sees as an opportunity to help them understand what's going on with Bob. And here's what he says. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Just helping them connect the dots. You see something different. I want you to know that difference is Jesus. When you see something different, I want you to know it's not coincidence. It's not good luck. It's it's not happenstance. It's Jesus. Now, you know this is true. Not everybody's excited for Bob. Who's not happy about Bob? Yeah, the people holding the 3 o'clock service, right? The people holding the service are upset that there's a disruption in the 3 o'clock worship service. So here's where chapter 4 picks up. It says, while Peter and John were then speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, by the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees, the, 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 the religious leaders of law. It says the leaders were disturbed at Peter and John. They were teaching the people through Christ. There was resurrection of the dead. That was part of, of, Paul, of Peter's message, this resurrection of the dead. So they arrested them, and since it was already evening, they put them in jail until the morning. But many of the people who heard the message believed it. So the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. So you have to understand, like, this was a huge wave for the early church. Like, he's only counting men here, not families and kids and everything. But, you know, we already got the picture that it's a huge group of people. We'll, we'll learn later on in chapter 4 about how the church used to gather and sell things and help each other and do these things. That's what chapter 4 of Acts is kind of recording uh, for us. But this is just to help you understand. There's something coming up, and this is an opportunity for Peter and John to respond, okay, respond. They've been thrown in jail to respond with God-given grace. And the reason this is important is because it is always how we're called to respond. Always. Remember the simple? Like, simple, clear, always, never changing. It is always the way we're called to respond in grace. It is not in judgment. It is not in condemnation. It is not in wrath. Even though you read the scriptures and God is entitled to have all those things, but we are the redeemed, right? Paul says in Ephesians, it's only by grace we're saved through faith. It's not because we're so awesome. It's not because anything we did. It's all God. So our response anytime, even when things unfairly happen, It's always got to be first and foremost grace, not condemnation, not judgment. Like uh, uh, Paul says in Romans, it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. And I think a lot of us forget that, that it's God's kindness that brings us and draws us back to him. So here's Peter and John. He says in verse 7, they brought the two disciples in and they demanded by what power and in whose name or whose name have you done this? right? They, they, they know something's up. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, very important, says to them, rulers and elders of, your, of our people, um, are we being questioned because we've done a good deed for this man, for this crippled man? 
Uh, do you want to know how he was healed? Uh, Peter's just sort of like, surely we're not arguing about the fact that we did a good thing for Bob. Do you, if you want to know how he's healed, I'm happy to tell you. And he goes on to say, let me clearly state, again, simple, clear, always, unchanging, to all of you and to all the people of Israel, he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but God raised from the dead. Keep going. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. So two things really quickly here. Again, Luke doesn't put it in there on, uh, by mistake. This isn't Peter responding because he's so awesome. Like Peter, just months ago, right? Peter denied Jesus. Like Peter was in the doghouse. Peter, Peter had to be crushed. His pride had to be crushed. And Jesus to restore him on the, on the ocean side of Galilee. And then he was filled with the Spirit to, to preach at Pentecost. And so this statement that Peter, in, filled with the Spirit, was able to respond with grace, but clearly and simply be able to state and not just invoke the name of God, but you got to remember for the Jewish people, every time they did it, they brought Jesus and God and put them together, right? Because they didn't want Jesus to be God, because that's not what they believed. But he kept saying, no, 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 God raised him up. There's no other name, Jesus' name, God. God did this, God, you know, however you want to do it. Like he kept bringing it together, bringing it together. And so they are upset about this. But here's the next verse, and I love this verse. This is one of my, actually one of my life verses, one of my favorite verses of Scripture. It says in verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Love that verse. Again, why? Simple by design. It wasn't meant for the educated. It wasn't meant for the elite. It wasn't meant for those things. It was meant for the ordinary and the everyday and the unschooled. And here was Peter and John. Clearly, none of those things in terms of leaders of a movement, in terms of leaders of anything, and yet they are seeing a movement of Christ's followers. 5,000 men alone. And it's disturbing the religious right disturbing their religious systems. And one of the things I love is that when they notice it, they see the courage and they, you know what they notice? That no one stands before them like that, except those who had been with Jesus. Why? Because they're probably remembered the time that Jesus stood before them and stood like that. Not in anger, but with fearlessness and courage that they knew exactly where they were supposed to be doing and who they were. That was it. He says, this is, this is it. Now, again, they, they don't like it. They huddle up, and they want to punish Peter and John. Like, they want to shut them up. There's a problem. Anybody remember what the problem is? Bob. Bob's the problem, okay? He's leading aerobic classes at the beautiful gate now. Like, he's, he's a problem for them. And they've seen him and they've heard him. And so they come back to the disciples and they say this to Peter and John. They say, uh, they called him back in and they commanded them. 
by the authority of everything they had. They said, we command you never again to speak and teach in the name of Jesus. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not, it's not if it's convenient. It's a command. And then here's what they say. They replied, do you think that God wants us to obey you rather than him? I mean, Peter and John were looking at the face of two commands. One they believe was given to them by God. One was given to them by the religious leaders. And they sat there and said, which one do you think is going to win? Right? Like, who do you think we should follow? What do you think we should do? And they, and they made it very clear where they stood. They said, we cannot. I'll go back to the verse. Sorry, Todd. We cannot stop telling about everything we have. Say the two words. Seen and heard. We can't. We, can't. we cannot stop talking about all these things we've seen and heard. We, we, we just can't. And I think that goes back to why Peter tells the church that we're called to share the hope that we have in Jesus. And I've said this to you before as a church. I think sometimes we get caught up trying to share with someone the hope that they should have because they're dumb, right? Because they're a sinner, because they're wrong. Because they're living a life, ungodly life. And so we want to share the hope with them that the hope they're supposed to have. And that doesn't get us anywhere. We're supposed to share the hope that we have. We're supposed to be talking about the things that we've seen and we've heard. Because we've been commanded to share our faith. Now, because everybody doesn't like it, there is, there is this third piece I want to share with you. Sometimes we have to request God-given boldness. Because not everybody likes. Nobody, not everybody likes the name of Jesus. Not everybody wants to hear about your personal experience, your faith. Not everybody wants it. Not everybody's, some people are going to take it as an offense. That you claim to have truth, or you claim to be right, or you claim that they're wrong, or whatever the case is. They're going to take offense to it, but sometimes you have to re kind of request from God, like, we need, I need boldness to say what needs to be clear, even though it's simple. And so here's what they did. Peter and John were returned, right? As soon as they were freed, they returned to the other believers and told the leading priests, told them what the leading priests and elders had to say. And when they heard the report, all the believers lifted up their voice together in prayer to God. Now, I'm not going to go through the whole prayer, but it is the first recorded prayer. It's a great one to go read. Um, the first recorded prayer of the church where they basically said, God, we're kind of smack dab in the middle of everything you told us that was going to happen. Like every, even in the city that you were crucified in, we're just, it's happening and it's the same thing you told us. But, they said, we're, our lives are in your hands, and you told us it was going to be like this. And so watch how they end their prayer. They said, now, Lord, hear their threats, and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. And it goes on to say, 
Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And it says, after this prayer, the meeting place shook. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they went and preached the word of God with boldness. Now, why does, it, why does Luke record that? Well, because, again, it wasn't the upper room. The upper room was the 11 and 12 disciples you know, that, that, uh, that were gathered at that time when the Holy Spirit came. And you have to remember, there's 5,000 now, 5,000 that, that are believing. And so this moment, whatever room this looked like, however big the room was, whoever was in, they kind of, they all get to experience a kind of upper room revival. They get to experience kind of the moment that Peter and them already experienced where they all get filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on to tell us, we've read, we've read these verses before. That they gathered together in homes and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and they sold the things they had and they encouraged one another and they prayed for one another and they went and worshipped in the synagogue and God just continued to grow the church. And the message was simple. To share Jesus. But it doesn't mean it was easy. Because you will notice if you read 4 and 5, well, they're arrested again and again. They are flogged they are beaten. They are threatened with death. They continue to go up against sort of the religious elite and they continue to say, we're not going to stop talking about what we've seen and heard. But it did not mean it was easy, which is why they had to request, God, you need to fill us with this courage, with this boldness to say your name. And so, End of chapter 5 says this, the day after day the temple courts, and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus was the Messiah. This is the end of that part of the journal entry, but this is just the story of the early church. The early church just sharing their faith, just, just being willing to preach and proclaim and herald and say the name of Jesus in a culture that didn't want to hear anything about it, especially from the, the ruling class, the ruling culture. And so this is, if there's any advice I can give, and this is just me as your pastor saying, look, I know it's simple. I know it's a simple thing. doesn't mean that it's easy. And I know you may have had your own struggles and kind of figuring out, how do I do this? I struggle just to do this. I just want you to give one little, this is like a tip, right? A little Christian life hack, right? Like this is just a little piece that I see in the New Testament and I have seen in people's lives. We are called to write it, say it, shout it, live it, speak it, tweet it, uh, TikTok it, doesn't matter, right? Jesus. It needs to become common for you. Common. Everyday language. Now, let's be honest. You know, we, were all, we were all about the same age in this room. Some are a little bit older, but let's just be honest, like... The majority of us were raised in a culture where Jesus might have been a common name to say, but it didn't have anything to do with Jesus Christ. Not in person. It was usually said in a way that was cursing or, uh, or taking his name in vain and just a blasphemous way. And, and it was said so disconnected from the person of Jesus that it was said without guilt and without shame. And we might all be guilty of it at one time in our life, saying that name with no guilt and no shame. Because that's our culture. But we, as followers of Christ, need to get used to invoking and speaking the name of Jesus 
into every part of our lives. Like, like you got to start making it a habit. You got to start, I don't mean to be trite, but you need to start getting, like people will ask you like, well, how are you doing, Howard? Jesus, that's how I'm doing, right? What's different about you, Sally? Did you get your hair cut? Probably. Jesus is why I'm different right? Like not to be trite, not to be cute, but you've got to figure out a way to get comfortable speaking, writing, proclaiming the name of Jesus in and through your life so that you have done 90% of the work when someone goes, you know, you say Jesus a lot in the right way, right? You say Jesus a lot in the right way. What's going on? What's different? I'd love to tell you. I'd love to tell you what's different. I'd love to tell you why 90% of the way I answer questions is Jesus. I'd love to tell you about the hope that I have. Hey, I'm not, I'm not where you are and I'm not on your journey, but I'd love to tell you about the hope that I have in this person named Jesus. Now, we do live in 2024, and I do want to add this kind of to the end of our time, but because uh, I think it's important. Peter gives this to the church, and I think it's extraordinary. Uh, I think in all of these things, we also need to remember our God-given perspective. We are 2,000 years past this time in the journal that Luke wrote. Okay, Luke was writing this, and Peter and John were experiencing this with people who had physically seen Jesus die and physically seen him rose, rise again. Just like uh, Tracy was reading in our call to worship this morning where, where even Thomas was like, I ain't going to believe it until I see it. Like They were experiencing these kinds of moments. And they were teaching and sharing about the name of Jesus in that culture. But very soon after that, even 30 years, there would be people who mocked and struggled. Because it wasn't the same. And it's not the same for us in 2,000 years later. So here's what Peter gives. We're going to read this together. This is your passage that, um, this is the second letter that Peter writes to the church. And, and I just think, again, I think it's extraordinary that God's will has, you know, through his Holy Spirit, made sure that Peter gave this to the church so that we as the church could experience this kind of encouragement and remember. We have to remember the God-given perspective that we have in the church after Jesus Christ. I'm going to read and start in verse 3. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. And they deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command. And he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. And, and then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord. And a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone 
to suffer and to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief, then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives we should live. Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens and earth on fire and the elements will melt away in flames. But we, talking about the church, we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth that he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. So dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in sight. And remember our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved Paul, brother Paul, also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. This is Peter connecting him and Paul to the point of you're reading this as the church in the New Testament. He says, just like Paul has wrote, I want to make sure you know this. There is a perspective that we have been given, which is the fact that we know there is an end coming. And we know in the last days people are going to scoff at it and there's going to be, you know, and they're going to say nothing's really changed. Matter of fact, we're living in an age that people probably say, oh, there's a lot changed. It's gotten worse. It's getting worse. You know? And they say, but you need to remember this. And that's why I love pulling out this verse that our Lord's patience is giving people time to be saved. I was actually at a, a conference or a a day conference with a lot of church leaders in the Charlotte area, and I, we heard a guy come and talk, and um, he was sharing just a little bit about some of the future of the church and just sort of the encouragement to the church. But he did, he used a word that I hadn't heard in a while. He was like, and just the way he used it, he says, he says I know I'm talking about this kind of stuff in a kind of an end timesy kind of way. And the way, and he said it, and I was just like, that's weird, I've never heard that. I knew what he meant, right? It's kind of an end timesy kind of feel. And I was like, yeah, I, I get that, you know? We're on the home stretch. I don't know how long the home stretch lasts, but I know we're on it. But here's what's funny. Like, I've read, you know, I've studied, read Revelation and understand at least some portion and concepts of what's coming. And here's the reality is that even if I could pinpoint you to verse and title, and here we are in the timeline, and here's, here's what's happening, even if I could do that for you and tell you that it's going to get worse before it gets better. I would tell you that our job and strategy and call doesn't change. It never changes. Because according to Revelation, even when things get, I mean, even when judgment begins on the earth, God is still patient and giving people time to come to him. Which means that we might, we might I don't know where you stand on the whole tribulation thing and all that kind of thing. I don't know either, the rapture, and I don't know. I'm just telling you that no matter where we find ourselves, and as long as we're breathing breath, right, it's to share our faith with others. Because God's patience, until it is done, until it is finished, and final judgment comes, is for us to share our faith and to tell people about the hope we have in Christ. That's it. It's simple. Not necessarily easy. And I don't know which one of these things is one of those things maybe that you personally have kind of had to work through. 
whether it's, you know, understanding how the grace is called to respond to things or, or you know, the boldness that you may need to pray for and the opportunities that you, maybe you need to get better at recognizing, right? Or maybe you just haven't had that perspective. But I think this is all necessary for, for us to share the faith. And I've, I'm going to close with this before we pray. This is a statement I make fairly often. A faith worth sharing is the same to me as a life worth living. Because to me, again, with share and serve, with this great God-given purpose we have to share our faith and to, you know, uh, serve others in love, like, it's the same to me. And yet, I understand that I live in a world where we might know that we have a faith worth sharing, but the majority of us are trying to make lives worth living without ever sharing the hope of Jesus. We're doing everything we can to create lives worth living with entertainment, with stuff, with all sorts of careers and security and money and and just all the things that we think will eventually satisfy us. And the reality is it won't. Because we have a faith worth sharing and in doing so, we will begin to live a life worth living. Not just in the temporary, not just in the meaningless, not just in sharing the things that don't matter for eternity. We can begin to experience both. Living out the hope of leading others to Jesus, a faith we're sharing and experiencing a life that's really worth living. And that's my prayer for us today. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, so much for this, um, uh, just for having Luke record the acts of the early church and just the preserving of that in, in your word as you've given that to the church to, to learn from and see and recognize. And God, I pray today that uh, as we really kind of nail home the fact that the calling is simple, the, 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 the things you've called us to is simple and clear and always and never changing, but God, we will recognize our, in our humanity, we, don't, we haven't made it easy. And we don't sometimes feel like it's easy. But God, if it was easy, we wouldn't need you. If it was easy to forgive ourselves, we wouldn't need the forgiveness of you. If it was easy to love others, we wouldn't need you. If it was easier to, you know, just because of how amazing we are, to surrender all of our life, like God, we wouldn't need you. So it's only by your Holy Spirit that we recognize that all of this comes because you give us the strength to be able to do it. That as simple as the call is, it still requires the Holy Spirit to fuel us to be able to speak the name of Jesus in such a way that the name itself is so powerful, but God, it's through your spirit that it does a work in people's hearts and lives. We pray today, God, together as a church that we would not only attempt to have a life worth living, but we would understand that that comes with a faith worth sharing, our absolute hope in you. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.